Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Healing Place podcast. My name is Brian Hackney, and I'm the director of the Healing Place. And uh, many of you have asked, when are you going to be releasing more episodes of the Healing Place podcast? Well, ask and ye shall receive. So I'm really excited the way we're going to open up 2023. Um, A few weeks ago, I sat down with a really good friend, Beth McGuire, and we recorded seven episodes of a podcast uh, called Beautiful Ashes. I was wanting to have Beth on my podcast, and then incidentally, she said she was going to be shooting one, so um, she asked me to be on that podcast. So we're going to release those seven episodes to start the year on the Healing Place podcast. So who is Beth McGuire? Beth is a really, really good friend um, who was one of our care coaches. And over seven years ago, she started care coaching across Timbers in the Healing Place. Uh, She became uh, one of our star care coaches, I say, and she led our divorce care ministry. And um, she has since moved to North Carolina, but she stayed in touch. And she's actually still care coaching via Zoom long distance from her home in North Carolina. Beth uh, went through a very, very public divorce, and uh, she had the life that everyone dreams of, married to kids, uh, very successful life, a successful career, a foundation that she had poured her heart and soul and passion into that was giving back to the community that they lived in at the time, and literally overnight, that all disintegrated, and um, as she went through, again, a very public divorce, and found herself on the floor, literally on the floor in the fetal position, thinking her life was over. So uh, she's written a book called Beautiful Ashes, and there's seven chapters. The first chapter is called The Floor. Uh, And in the book, she just chronicles her journey of devastation uh, and the long road to healing as she pressed into faith, pressed into family, pressed into community, and uh, silence, building intimacy with God, and ultimately now finding purpose and meaning and passion for a new mission to find men and women who find themselves in the same situation that she was in and trying to give them hope for healing. So yeah, we sat down and and recorded seven episodes, one for each chapter. We're going to be releasing them uh, every week. So without further ado, I give you Beth McGuire in Beautiful Ashes. Hi, everyone. I'm Beth, and you're here at the very first podcast of Beautiful Ashes book. I'm sitting here alongside Victor Fadul, the co-author of Beautiful Ashes, and Brian Hackney, the director of The Healing Place hey, hey. at Cross Timbers Church. Good to be with you guys. So we are super excited. I know we put a little intro out there that we were going to be doing this podcast. And so we're going to just get right into this and we're going to take you chapter by chapter through the seven stepping stones of the beautiful ashes healing process. And so today is chapter one, the floor. And I'm going to kind of hand that back over to Victor and from here we'll go. Yeah, we're, we're here to get in conversation just about what it looked like for you to walk through your own healing journey because the entire point, not only of the book, but ultimately of the ministry is we want to be able to walk people through the healing process. Um, I remember, I remember writing this portion. It was, it was tough, you know, um, where you were at mentally. Um, I, I saw it physically with my own eyes, Mm -hmm. but then rehashing and, and, and writing about it, 
I mean, we talked about it over the years and watching just your journey of from when it happened to a year later, two years later, 10 years later, it's like completely different. Take us back to that moment. Yeah, and that, that's a painful moment. It, it, is, it is probably the darkest day I had in my life until that point. And, um, and if you would have asked me then, 10 years from now, that I would be sitting here doing this podcast... And the biggest reason why I am here doing this podcast is to show you what that looked like for me to get up and off that floor Mm. and how God just showed up. You know, if I could do anything for anybody, it's just to let them know that God sees them, God loves them, and God has a great plan. So for me on that day, the despair was, I can't hardly even put words into it. It was something I'd never experienced. I even talked about the way that my tears fell, they were such a different type of a tear. It was like a the, the pain was so deep that I just had it. It was such a shock of my circumstances, and I never saw it coming. Yeah. So when people say, I mean, we we hear it all the time. If you would have told me ten years from now no. that I'd be doing this, and we kind of just let that go because everyone says it, right? But like literally, you thought you were done. Yeah. Like, talk, talk about that. You, like, know, yeah. you said the despair was, like, intense and the tears were different. Just, but, like, what did you think your future looked like at that point? I was terrified. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even see my future. I mean, some on my hardest days, honestly, just even getting out of bed and getting in the car and driving my kids to school, like, that was an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, I'll be honest, I couldn't see past that. I couldn't see past what that, what that looked like. I couldn't see my future. I did not know what anything looked like. If I felt like I was living in an upside down world. Yeah. And this stuff comes out of nowhere. We think this happens to other people. Mm-hmm. Like this would have never happened to you, right? We talk about yeah. that, Vicar. Well, we talk. Yeah. That's the shattered dreams. Yes. Right. That's. We have a vision in our mind of what life is supposed to look like, mm. and then as life does, something comes along and helps us pivot yeah. in a way that we're not prepared for or to our it, planners. It knocks the wind out of you. It, it, yeah. Mm. I think, you know, after my son passed, you know, uh, for those listening who may not know, we lost a two-year-old son 23 years ago. And after that happens, like your give a crap breaks, like life's <laughs> over, like lights out. I know what depression means. I know what you just, you're thinking like I'm done. Yeah. Um, but but that obviously wasn't the end. But when, you know, the floor, when people, they see someone like you or maybe someone like me, oh, now they think you've got it so together mm-hmm. and maybe it, maybe it knocked you back on your heels, but it couldn't have demolished you. Yeah. So when you say the floor, and I know you go to detail in the book, but yeah. I think it'd be talk about what the floor literally looked it, like for the, you. The floor is actually, there, it's, it's, a, it's physical and metaphorically, right? Mm-hmm. I was physically on the floor mm-hmm. in the fetal position in my robe. I mean, that is a visual that I will have forever. It, is, it was physical and it's metaphorically mm-hmm. as well. So the floor to me was just the lowest point that I'd ever been in my life. It's the most pain I'd ever been in my life. And when I, but here's what's actually kind of cool about that moment now, hindsight 2020. Um, it is when I look back on that moment, there was the presence of God. And it was probably the first time that I was in such desperation, I was just grasping for anything to hold on to. 
And in that moment, he was there. He was there. So as Christians, so many times, even worship, we need to usher him in. Like he, And when we pray, yeah. I need to make sure my prayers aren't bouncing off the ceiling. So God's out there. We think he's out there and we got to yeah. somehow get him. Yeah. You're saying he was always with you. He was inside of you. Yeah. But I don't think I knew that at the time. You know, I, we talk about this in book two, and we talk about where I was as far as my, in my faith walk. And I was always believed in Jesus. Mm-hmm, I mean, that was just mm-hmm. ingrained in me in my childhood. But what I didn't understand was the relationship part of him. And so in that moment, in, in actually in that dark moment, one of my children came in the room mm-hmm. and saw me on the floor in the fetal position and began praying over me. And I've shared this before that that was actually the first time I was ever prayed over. And at the time, I didn't even know the scripture she was saying. And what it ends up being was my Jeremiah 29, 11, mm-hmm. for I know the plans I have for you. And mm-hmm. when looking back on that moment, that's through her is how I felt him. So that was my very first experience of a relational God. Mm-hmm. And that, so as, as hard as that moment was on the floor, as I describe it in the fetal position, it was the beginning of a beautiful relationship. That verse means it, a lot. It does. It's carried me, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, when I think about, you know, that moment, like I think about what you talked about when your kids prayed over you, but also how your friends started to enter the picture too, how people started to come in and try to help you up off the floor. Um, what was that process like? Like, you know, God did immediately usher people in. And I think he always does that. I think, but part of the time we actually miss it. We miss what he's bringing to us because we're in so much pain. It's hard to see that there, we just want everything fixed. We want our life back. But realizing that he is comforting us and through friends, through people. And so, yes, on that same day, my closest friends at the time literally came over, comforted me. They even prayed over me more and literally had to physically get me up off the floor in the car and take me to a counselor. Just that they had to physically lift me. So here's these friends I've had for all these years, and we've never talked about our relationship with Jesus, and they knew exactly where to take me and what to mm-hmm. do. And so that was the start of having somebody, wise counsel, pour into me from that moment on about God's love for me, how he will never forsake me, how he has a plan, and to trust it. And he doesn't promise us that there won't be pain and suffering, but he does promise us he will always be with us. And so I needed to hear that at the time. And that was just the very beginning. But it started from the minute I just looked up with him in, in like, in despair, he people just came it came flocking into me into my life. It was a beautiful, yeah. beautiful process. I, and I <clears throat> want to go back even to something. Yeah. So I, I, I'm thinking about all the people who are hearing this that see an author, a Christian <laughs> woman author, a believer, someone who's got faith and, and came through. You know, beauty from ashes. Mm-hmm. It's but you said he was there, but it's like, and he was always there. You just didn't know it. Right. But it's almost like. We have these floor metaphorical, like we finally hit rock bottom and now we turn to God and God does all this stuff. Like, but we had to do it. We had to hit rock bottom. But when you say I was powerless, my willpower had failed. Like just this whole, like you were powerless. Like you couldn't, I I think I want to just 
overemphasize that. You you couldn't do anything on your own. You had That's, to have God yes. do this thing for you. Yeah, yeah. Right? And Victor and I have talked about this a lot, and he knows this about me really well. That that brings in the control factor of my life, and mm. the powerlessness is releasing the control that you think you have, because mm. we never really do. But it's <laughs> the facade yeah, of control, yeah. and so you almost. The powerlessness is just the acknowledgement that what you just said, that you cannot do this without him. Mm-hmm. In my own will and white-knuckling through it, I am not going to do that on my own will. And mm-hmm. so it, learning that, number one, I'm not meant to do it on my own, but I spent a lifetime of trying to do everything on my own and control every outcome. Well, and also in fairness, <laughs> you were really good at it for a long period of time. I mean, yeah. obviously you can look a lot of what you've done is out there and people can see that. And there were a lot of things that, um, you had built, you know, with your family and it's crazy that you ended up on the floor. Right. Mm -hmm. But then it's really cool to see when you admit powerlessness, what God can turn around and do with everything he's already done in and through you. He's just expounding on what he's already done. It, it's not like everything is gone. It's a continuation. Right. That's a really good point, too, as well, to realize that nothing is wasted. And all of the life before the floor, God is still using mm-hmm. all of those pieces, and they all were meant to, to be mm-hmm. there. And it's just it's releasing that and then trusting what he's going to do with that going forward. Mm-hmm. That's where the powerlessness comes into play. Yeah. It's like letting him take, take charge and letting him really do what only God can do. I just... I hear again, I'm just hearing how many times I've heard growing up, you know, in my weakness, he is made strong. Yeah. But we don't really understand what totally dying to be resurrected. We we all want to we say we want to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Dude, dying sucks. <laughs> right? I mean, where are you going when you pick up that cross? You're going to die. Yeah. But you have to be like dead before there will be a true resurrection. If you don't, you're just propping up your old self. Talk yeah. And, you right? See, go ahead. Yeah, no. Because you talk about that, Victor, about that the book. You know, we talk about how, you know, picking up your cross daily. And mm-hmm. we say that like flippantly, because we all know as Christians, you know what that means. But do you but what that really, really means? So yeah. You talk about that a lot, and it's true what that looks like to pick up your cross every day. Yeah. It's not easy. I, it's hard not to jump ahead. I, mm. You were a part of Wise Counsel mm. um, in Best Life, a major component of her healing. Mm. And I want, I want people who are listening to know a little bit more about your background, kind of how you ended up yeah. here and why, why you're here right now. That's Thanks, Victor. Mm. <laughs> That's... Uh, so growing up in a fundamentalist uh, church, uh, mm-hmm. a Christian you know household, Christian mm-hmm. church, it was about my performance. You know, you talked earlier about control, perfectionism. You yeah. said it was your character yep. defect, one yep. of your flaws. You write this. You know, yep. I was wanting to get back into yeah. that. I felt like for God to love me and accept me, I had to be perfect. You know, don't screw up or mm-hmm. you go to hell, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so that perfectionism pervaded m- most everything in my life, and. Yeah, we went away from, you could say, rigid fundamentalism, legalism, as we call it growing up, to grace. But now, okay, so we've, we've, we've experienced grace, but it was just a little sprinkled in. It was still mostly me. And then God made up the difference, right? That's what grace was. <laughs> yeah. And so I just, I literally felt like it was not okay not to be okay. Right. I had to be okay. And 
God had given me so much, so he required a, a bunch from me. I didn't know what that meant. I just thought it, I had to have it all together. And it wasn't until I literally had no power on my own that I finally literally said, God, I need help. I had this, you know, baptized at 12, memorized all the scripture. <laughs> God's pretty lucky to have the A team on his team, right? <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm doing pretty good. I lettered in Christianity. But early in, <laughs> early in my marriage, it was failing, and I, was, I couldn't do it. And, you know, if God didn't come through like I was through, my marriage was through. So you fast forward, I... I um. I just started seeing that the churches that I was a part of, you had everything had to be fine. The the plastic, the veneer, the face. Mm-hmm. You couldn't say, I'm really struggling. Mm-hmm. Like I I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Now, last like- I checked, when you're dead, you have to have someone outside of you revive you. Yeah. God <laughs> had to do, you know, clear, boom, he has to pull out the paddles. He yeah. has to give me mouth to mouth. Like I couldn't do it on my own, but I could never admit that. And when I finally was able to admit that. And I saw what God did. My life literally changed. And so I wanted to be a part of a church where we didn't hide, we didn't dodge, we didn't have to have it all together. Mm-hmm. It was okay not to be okay. And then when you plan a church like that and you're vulnerable with grieving out loud, you're, grie- you're grieving the loss of a child and, and all the stuff that happens from that, but, but uh, you're honest about your failings in marriage. You're honest about everything. That's attractional, and people are coming left and right. And so, you know, this church... Uh, the, the church I was a part of started blowing up at the time. Like people are coming and saying, I want to be a part of that where it's okay not to be okay. And uh, so then I, I wanted to be a part of something like the healing place that I'm the director of now, um, where literally people of all walks of life, young, old, single, married, uh, can come and say, my way's not working. Can you help? Mm-hmm. And there's no shame. You create an environment where there's no shame, and people will be vulnerable. They'll confess. They'll be open. The Bible doesn't say don't sin. It says confess sin so you can be healed. So you have to have an environment where no shame, no judgment, so people will come and share their stuff so they can get help. So that's that's who I am. It's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I heard while you were sharing. Mm -hmm. You, You both were walking very similar walks, just in different places. You know, you had to have it all together. Yeah. Especially on screen, yeah. right? And you you had to have it all together in one of the most intimate, personal places where it's supposed to be the most vulnerable and messy and okay. Yeah. And well, I think that's the deal. We hide, right? All of us do. Mm-hmm. And there's shame. That's why it's the this, shame is this the biggest, story. Yes. 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 The, 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 I, I was going to say the ubiquitous condition of man. Shame. And that's why I love the the story of Adam and Eve. Yes. Like like that is. That story's been around a long time, right? And shame was what separated Absolutely. them. Absolutely. Not their, you know, disobedience. Shame is what, no, it's what, shame. It was yeah. shame, right? In that moment of that that despair, whatever you want to call it, in your ashes, as we like to call it mm. here, um, the fact that you either have a choice at that moment. You're going to either grow bitter, bitter or better. And you really do have a choice. That's But you are at gunpoint. And it's that is, to me, one of the biggest... 
because we we know a lot of people that walk around on this earth and they have they are just they're cynical mm-hmm. and they're just they do, and they're bitter and mm-hmm. and to me I actually know that that they're just not like an awful person. There's something so painful inside of them, and then they have shame on top of that, and they're so afraid to release that and share that for fear of being judged. And so yeah. that's the point where that powerlessness, if you hand that over to God, he will usher an army yeah. of people and places and things and beauty in the world to rise you up out of your ashes. And I can hear someone hearing that, Beth, and say, see there, she chose better, not bitter. And look what God did. But you chose bitterness for a while. Oh, no. And you write about it. No, you, you write we about do. it. So, so talk about that. We do. You, you yeah, you, I, I you did. bitter. You know, yes. Uh, victimhood. Is that in chapter one? Is that in the floor? That, <laughs> it's, it's, bitterness is in chapter one. Yeah. I mean, we talk about working mm-hmm. through my bitterness, and we'll get into that later. But, you know, in that moment when that happens to you, and mm-hmm. the part of the victim part and retelling that story, a lot of that is, yes, just processing it because it's such a shock and awe. And remember, the grief cycle is real. And that, you know, a death of a marriage is a death, a loss, as if, you know, if someone, a spouse or somebody dies, and you have to grieve that out. Mm -hmm. And during that grieving process, you can get stuck. Mm. And inside that stuck is where you can find yourself growing bitter. Because if you do not work through that in a healthy way, you will become bitter. So there was, yes, a period where, and it's funny how victimhood can feel good almost. Like you want to rally people around you to say, oh my gosh, I can't believe that, you know, and you can stay in that space. No, it feels great. It does. To have that commiseration with your friends saying, yeah, yeah. And you know, and that is and that's the very first part though. There is a there is a part to, of being validated. Mm-hmm. It's really really important to actually be validated in your pain, in your pain. Mm-hmm. and be validated of what happened. But but what my hope and prayer as we share what I actually yeah. did to come out from under, how did I stop become being bitter? Yeah, and how so you did get I stuck in it? How yeah. did you get unstuck? Yeah. I th- well, the, honestly, it's it's a journey and the process was very slow to be super okay. truthful. Um, but the first was the surrender that we talked about. The powerlessness was the very, very first step. It is, all right, God, my life is not as I thought it was going to be. I had my plan. I had what I wanted, and that is not what it's going to look like. So all I have is for you. So the surrender was the very first stage. And the other thing about grief, too, that I think, yeah, I think owning the fact that a divorce is a trauma. I mean, we want to sometimes, well, we, we want to, you know, make levels of trauma. And if you dismiss that, but if your body, you know, we love the book, The Body mm-hmm, Keeps the Score, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. your body does keep the score of that. And if you don't process that out as a trauma, then you really, that that's a, that's a big area of getting mm-hmm. stuck is inside of re- not recognizing where you're actually at in that process of coming out from under. So a lot of that, when you asked me that, how did I, it was a lot of crying, a lot of counseling, mm-hmm. and a lot of great mentors that came into my life you being one of them, you know, sitting on your couch talking about what I'm going through. And then the other piece that came a little bit later, but it's actually where you start using your pain to help others. Like Mm. you start sharing your story and you start opening that up to allow God to use the pain that that you've gone through to to help other people. And that's where the healing place comes into such a great play because one of the Mm. greatest, one of the greatest gifts that I ever received is being able to work under you and be a care coach. And I just found that um, being able to sit across somebody and sharing my pain 
not only did I did, were they getting validated in that, it was actually helping me move forward as well. So, which is amazing because we're all suffering the human condition, and to help someone else suffer less, now yeah. we're deriving meaning and purpose from that, and it feels so good. And, yeah. and you suffer less because you're helping someone else suffer less. But when you're on the floor. Again, I bet you never thought you were going to be helping someone else no. as a care coach. Never, day. ever, ever would yeah. I have saw that. There's no way I, I saw that at that time. Mm -hmm. Because honestly, just holding my head up and walking into my kid's school, that was like mm -hmm. an accomplishment. And quite honestly, I didn't want to be the poster child for divorce. I mean, I talk about mm -hmm. that as well. You know, having to walk this out publicly also was more difficult. You know, I lived in the, in that, in the public eye, um, as a lot of people know. And it's not that that necessarily matters. It just magnifies for, for people to see it. It's not so anything different. did it magnify, I mean, humiliation? Yeah. What, how did it hinder your healing, being so public? Because of a lot of it is my personality. Um, just, just feeling like everybody had a bird's eye view of my personal struggles. And so everybody did your perfectionism had even come oh, yeah. into play in walking through Absolutely. the divorce? And mm. my perfectionism mm. and wow. one of my deepest needs, as I think everyone's is, is to be deeply known and deeply understood mm -hmm. and being misunderstood mm. of what was going on and feeling judged and feeling, mm. um, you know, just but that, it, that the truths were out there that were not truths and just trying to walk that out with class and grace. That's what I used to, and, and only, I know that I know that the only way I was able to do that is by the grace of God. My own will and my own power, no way. I would have failed miserably, and I would have not done that with class and grace. And I, that's the other thing, knowing where I was before I was on the floor and had this relationship with Jesus, I would have handled this very differently. Something I think is important for an audience listening is, what is the consequence of bitterness? Mm, good. Um, play that out, right? Yeah. I mean, you you do have a choice because there are people. I mean, we've even run into people that we know that they want to stay stuck. Yes, they they choose to do that. And from you too, Brian. Like biblically, what is the consequence of bitterness? A hardened heart. It's it's a great question. When Jesus at the pool of Bethesda, Bethsaida, mm -hmm. some people say when he asked the guy's been there for what thirty eight years, he says. Do you want to get well? Yeah. That's a great question. <laughs> That's really, True. you may think, what? Why did he ask him that? Well, every time the water stirred, you know, that the spirit oh, yeah. stirs the water, yeah. the first person gets to it, they get healed. I can never get down there, dang it. It's like, dude, do you want to get well? Or do you like to sit here and gripe about this? Yeah. Right? It's a great question. And so, yeah, I think we, we at some point, the pain of staying the same, right, needs to be worse than the pain of actually, you know, healing. And then we finally say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, and I want to do something new. Or what? How do you say it, Victor? The lesson is destined to be repeated until the lesson is learned. There you or, go. Or there's another one. The, um, yeah. <laughs> is that what you're looking for? No, well, that's that one too, but it's also that um, are you going to get in enough pain to do something different? Uh, yeah. One day you'll get in enough pain to do something wow, different. Wow, there you go. Yeah. And that's really what that look. That's actually what happened to me. Mm. The way that I had been walking my life out, trying to control everything, trying to, that was not working for me anymore. It didn't work. I thought, you know, in my 20-year marriage, I had it all worked out. I had it all planned out. And in one swoop, it was all gone. Where did your perfectionism come from? You know, I think it's a childhood. And can it change? Yeah. Can you change perfectionism? Or does it just stay with you forever? I think, well, I That's think... That's a tough... <laughs> sorry. But you, but no, but I mean, I'll give you a real answer with that. I think that... Yeah. 
I think the 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 wiring of me, yes, mm-hmm. is a perfectionism, but I think how you allow yourself to release that is just again handing the things mm-hmm. over to God. Like I will get in situations still where I want to control it, I want a certain outcome, and I know now how to release that to God and go, hey, your ways are better than mine. And you know, one of the biggest prayers I ask for when I get in those places mm-hmm. is God, give me your lens. Let me see mm. it the way you see it. Mm. Because the way I'm seeing it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't feel good. It's whatever. And I've I have, tried my way. <laughs> yeah. And 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 so yeah, yes, when yeah, my perfection yeah. gets into that, it really is me in my place with God is just I just ask him that. I literally just ask him that. Help me see your lens. Just light the path so I just see it a little bit and, and trust you in that. And honestly, it's when you start acting in faith like that, he does come through. And so I anytime I'm in that space, I just I literally will stop. Okay, I'll work out the perfectionism a little bit still. It's there. But where you sure. it's not that the that that part of me is gone. It's just I know what to do with it now. Mm-hmm. My worldview was if I just got through all of this, I would have my family intact and we'd be riding off into the sunset. I mean, literally that's what I used to say all the time. You could personify the enemy and place this that label on a lot of people, right? right? But a lot of people, I felt cosmically bullied. Is this term that I came up after losing my son? I didn't do anything to deserve this, and yeah. but, but who am I going to blame it on? Right? right? Were you ever bitter at God? You know, we talk about this a little bit in the book. I think mm-hmm. you know, at first, I didn't even recognize it was at God. Mm. I'm bitter at the situation. Mm-hmm. I'm bitter at what happened to me. I'm bitter at you know all of that. But when you take a deep, hard look, it is yeah. God. Number one. Not even more importantly, yes, this happened to me, but why are you not fixing this? Like, why is why am I not getting this put back together for me? Sure. Why am I not getting it back? Okay. Mm. You know, it's, you know, I'm doing all these things, and so the, for me, the harder part wasn't necessarily wow, yes. the demise of my marriage because we listen. I own my side of the tracks of that, and but it, to me, it was more about like, why is this not? Why is God not redeeming that? And understanding what restoration looks like in God's lens isn't always a restoration of a marriage because it takes two willing people to do that. And so say, I... Say it again yeah. for the people in the back. <laughs> Beth, no, this is so good. I, I see it all the time. Yeah. Hey, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm praying. I'm fasting. I'm worshiping. I'm having no doubters around. I'm you know anointing my head with oil in the doorpost and I'm yeah, doing yeah. nothing but praise worship music. But it still happens. It still and happens. God's not doing his thing. No. So what do you do with that? We have to recognize that what we want isn't always what what's best for us, or yeah. even we all have free will. So God's not like Victor loves to say this. God's not going to play tug of war. And so if 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 it isn't going, if someone's not going to come back and work with you inside of that, He's not going to yeah. leave you in that space. Mm-hmm. He's God's not going to leave you in a place to be you know unloved or whatever. So you have yeah. to trust that there's a reason why it's not being restored. Yeah. Faith is not certainty about this stuff. By right. the way. Say faith is the knowing and the unknowing and wrestling yes. to wrestle. Yes. That was that's yes. that's if you talk to first century Jews, that was the faith that they had. It was wrestling yes. with God. That's yes. why Jacob walked away with a limp, right? Yes. It was the wrestling. And wrestling yeah. is 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 okay. Like God, mm-hmm. God's okay with us wrestling with him. I wrestle with him all the time. And it's it mm-hmm. is that is part of my meditation prayer process. Mm-hmm. That is part of what I was doing. Like, God, I don't understand this. And I trust you at the same time. God, I don't like this. And I know and I know you're my God and you're for me. How long so, did it take to get to that point? From the floor. Well, you know, I would tell you fr- from the floor, 
that whole first year, I was wrestling really hard with God, trying to make sense of it all. And I was surrounded by people that were just constantly reminding me of who my God was. Mm. So, it, and I still wrestle with him. Let's just not lie. Even 10 years later, I can still wrestle with where I'm at. It, there are, it's not, it's, it, we never are perfected, right? We never, we're always a work in progress. And the healing process to me is ongoing. It's different levels. You know, and there was a great, uh, Lisa Turker is who I love. I mean, follow her story. And she said something one time that has really, really, I just, I hang on to this. And I, other women that I work with, I, I like to remind them of this. Like, you know, you can forgive and you can forgive the person or you can forgive what happened. And, and you're like, and then you're like, okay, I forgive. I did all these things that God's calling mm -hmm. me to forgive. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you're, something happens. You're like, gosh, I'm feeling this all over again. I'm angry again. I'm mm -hmm. upset again. And you're like, I, I already forgave, but the, the forgiving and the healing process is you have to continue to forgive for the impact mm. of what happened or what they did or whatever. It, that, so the, the, you can forgive for the act, but you're having to continually forgive for the impact. Yeah. And that's a lifetime. There's a lifetime of an impact of decisions and things that have happened. And so I find myself still having to forgive for the impact. Wow. Something that I, I have to bring up while we're in chapter one, you said nature, I'm reading now, yeah. has become a place where I can decompress and become mm -hmm. one with Christ at work in me. And I've learned that this, I love walking my trails at Eagle yeah. Mountain Lake, right? Yeah. Yeah, Being yeah. outside. But you said, I had to learn how to be comfortable with myself alone. When you <laughs> called me that time, <laughs> we, I want to you come back to that. You reminded me, yes. But so you said... Comfortable with myself alone, willing to walk out the door all the way to the lake and to listen to a sermon or music. And then, I, and you said it took time. But what about turning off the sermon, turn off the music? What about silence? And Talk I do, to me about that. You know that. what? And I actually do do that. There mm. are times that I have this, where I live now in Raleigh, um, and I have always got out in nature, but I get mm -hmm. to do it even more there. It's just no. so beautiful. But I will, at times, I will actually put my AirPods in, but there's nothing on. And I put the AirPods in, I think, just to make sure everyone thinks I'm listening to something, not to stop me or yes. bother me or talk to me, which sounds rude. But but I'm thing. doing it because yeah. I and is there's something about I can I can actually hear myself breathing even more. Mm. And so there's something really, and your body's physically moving, mm. and you're talking to God. And for me, I have found that while I am, you know, physically exerting myself and out in His beauty, that I hear Him so much more clearer, and I crave so, it. So when a I hate this pain sometimes and, and hurt can be a heat-seeking missile. If you've had all this growth in three months, six months, and all of a sudden something comes and boom, blows yeah. up, and you're like, oh, triggered, right? Yeah. And you're just, and your first inclination is pick up that phone, <laughs> call people who will tell you what you want to hear and make you feel better, yeah. but talk talk about so, that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have a perfect I, story of that. And, yeah. and I do know that um, one of the things that how I work through things is I do talk. I'm a talker. Mm -hmm. And one of my processes is that, so I do have a tendency when things are hurting or I have a trigger is I remember telling you this one time something happened and I was spiraling. And you said to me, well, what do you do? What's your first thing you do when that happens? And I'm like, well, I probably call my mom or mm -hmm. my sister and, you know, or someone that I know that I can share all this because I need to work through it with somebody that I love and mm -hmm. sees me. And you say to me, have you ever just thought about being still? and taking it to him first. You can go seek wise counsel after that, mm -hmm. 
But have you ever thought about just trying that first? And Brian, mm -hmm. you ring in my ears whenever <laughs> I have something happen. And I really do make an effort to do that because there's a calmingness that comes. And, and again, that's when I'll talk to God. All right, God, right now the world is showing me this. My lens is seeing it like this, but what is your lens? And when I ask him to do that, just he and I, I get more peace than if I called my sweet mama, who I love dearly, and she does bring me peace, but it's really healthy more to take it to him first, and then you're just in a different, there's just a different different level of, I, of, of where I'm at with that. Yeah. And I, I mean, is there a wisdom in a multitude of counselors? Absolutely. Does God speak through people and friends sure. and loved ones? Absolutely. But I love that it's that acknowledgement, He's going to manifest in me. He's going to be in me. Mm -hmm. Let me quiet. Let me center down. You know, take, get in your bathtub, have your wine, yeah. but don't pick up the phone yes. where you go. And that could be distracting or blocking from the very word that God wants to speak deep within yourself. Mm -hmm. yeah. Calling on him as you just are journeying through your daily life, if that starts to become your natural habit, you will walk in so much more peace. And, and, and when, so when a trigger or something does happen, it'll be... You won't spiral as far or stay there as long. You'll be That's able good. to come back out of that. To be filled with the Spirit of, of God, you have to be emptied first. Mm -hmm. I was full of me. Mm -hmm. I was full of crap. I would say something else. But <laughs> <laughs> keep, it, keep it PG, right? Yeah. It's like, and you have to empty yourself. Yes. But again, that emptying would never come voluntarily. That's I go back to the enlightenment gunpoint. Man, I had to just literally, I have nothing. And when I realized I had nothing, that's when, when you feel, you know, humbled, humiliated. It's yeah. like I was just had nothing. And I and I finally said, God, if you're if you're real, I need you. I need help. It's not like, look at what I can do for you, right. God. It's like if you're there, I need you. And that was the beginning of the transformation in my life. Because to be filled with the Spirit, same. You have to empty yourself of same. you first. Mm -hmm. Same. Sounds like a lot of freedom. Yes. Mm. Remember mm. what I say? What freedom for me looks like? What? Letting go. So there is that. It is you have to. You do have to empty of self, and you have to empty of of that control, mm. and then that is when the freedom starts to happen. And when you do release your your life to Him, and you do trust the journey, and life is a journey. It's it's you've got to just take it. You know, we have a chapter called The Road, and the road mm. is long and it is hard and there's wrong turns and, you know, there's construction and there's all these mm. things that can happen along the road. And if you trust him along the way, he will lead you to beauty. And that's the whole point of that. How are we going to get from the floor mm. to that, right? How are we going to get up? So honestly, if today you're on the floor and the only thing you, you do is get out of bed, and put some clothes on and get outside and walk and just and, and spend some time with God, then that's a good day. Mm. That's a first step of what did it look like after I was on the floor. And for me, I was, and there's little things like that. And we talk about nature a bit. And so I would drive the kids to school early in the morning and, I, and that dark, dark and coming back and the beautiful Texas sky would just start to come awake mm. and just the, that sunrise. And I would look out and it gave me hope the start of a new day and the beauty that God gives you in a sunrise to show you that hope. It is taking the time to see him in the little things, to see him in my, the purple orchid that we love, to see him in my sweet dog champ that just licks my face and loves me because I'm home. You know, if you have to look for God, or like we like to say, the Christ in things, the Christ mm. can be in 
your, uh, the flower that you love, the sunrise, the your your sweet you know animals. I mean, mm. he has surrounded us with comfort, and it is for us in that moment on the floor to see him, and that is the beginning of coming off the floor. <laughs> 